Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Trapped behind the microphone, Father Mike Rapp. I do. I feel kind of pinned in here on this chair. You're pinned in in that strange IKEA chair, but it works pretty well. We're back in the realm. It's semi-comfortable. I like it. You read in this one, though. Yeah, we're going to be in a, a weird state today. We'll just say that much because this is a jet lag edition. It is. Of chaotic stuff. I flew the ocean. Hello from the other side. Flew the ocean, and uh, we have not done well with jet lag. They say one day per every hour. So that justifies my bad moods. How many hours did we poor do? Poor sleep. Eight? Eight hours. So tomorrow I have to kind of For start you, acting, start acting like a. I'm older than an eight-year-old child throwing a fit, which I was like last week. So, But that's what happens on days like Tuesday when I lay down for a 15-minute nap at 2 p.m. wake up at 10 p.m., right? Oh, wow. You don't, In the middle of the day. You don't feel like, oh, I made the world a better place today. But here we are. I slept right? for 14 hours today. I know I told you, but I didn't tell them. Mm. 14 hours. I, I didn't... Haven't done that in a long, long. I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't think I've done. I don't think I've slept till two. And it was not like I'm playing, you know, planning this out or something. Yeah, I it's was just up at jet lag. I was up at four a.m. and then six a.m. and I read Agatha Christie murder novel all morning. So at a certain point, I just assumed you were dead. That somebody had killed you, and I had to. I had to become the the. The detective, this Intrigue guy, Hercule, Hercule Pirot. Did you? Get and one I had of those to solve cool who killed, who killed Mike. I was growing my mustache out and waxing it. Who killed Mike? Father yeah, Michael Rapp. I wouldn't Rapp. recommend that. And then it just turns out, no, you were just sleeping till two thirty this afternoon. You know, so it was. I mean, it feels pretty good. I think. Yeah. Well, we had a great trip home, and so we were happy to be home. Happy to be with all the guys on the sixth anniversary of the podcast. We were all together. Oh yeah, we took and, a picture. Uh, we took Did a everybody picture. see that? Uh, if you're on Instagram, you, you saw it. But took a picture. Um, maybe next maybe to Olaf put it up on, uh, Facebook. It on Facebook. But yeah, the four of us sitting together having a drink on the sixth anniversary. Hard to believe it's been six years. It's, it's crazy, great. huh? Yeah. yeah, six years and uh, I mean, so time really does fly. Yeah, I think well, a lot of our listeners are young, but maybe for the older ones. They yeah. know how time flies. The old ones know how time flies. That's right. Speaking of time flies, it doesn't seem to fly as fast here in Rome. I went for a walk today up into the Villa Borghese. That's nice. Thinking, That's where I was running to. Looking for some peace and quiet. Oh, no. And it's hard to know what is reality and what's not reality with jet lag. You know what I mean? You're kind of in this kind of trance all the time. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, am I hallucinating? Like am I seeing this? And walking through this beautiful garden forest kind of thing, trying to get some peace and quiet. And I see all these Romans. It's like this huge, huge deal, what's going on in the corner. And everybody's rollerblading. They're yes. all rollerblading. Oh, hey. I, I noticed the same and thing today. They're, they're listening to Play That Funky Music, White Boy, which I've had stuck in my head all day, thanks well, to... Well, that's not a bad thing. So I was like, is this real? Is this real life? I mean, people, were, they were looking, taking selfies with these rollerbladers. Like, this is like the newest thing. Rollerblading is in, Roller in Rome. Blading. And they play that funky coins, music. Or the, they set up the, oh, what do you yeah. call them? Cones. And then they like uh, weave in and out of these cones. And mm. uh, it's like a whole thing. I want to get some rollerblades and get up there. In fact, today I saw a girl on uh, roller skates. 
Ah. And I thought that is cool. Yeah, they're, they're, we're really in here. 1992 is hitting, and we're still in the 1970s, I guess, of music. Play that but, funky music. Oh, man. Right. It was, I was like, is this real life? Is this real life? I, I like love that. it. I like that adventure. Here's yeah. the other thing I noticed about the Romans when I was up there today. Everyone is wearing black all the time. All the time. Everyone is wearing black. Yeah. And they have black hair and they yeah. have black eyes. It's like uh, gothics, you know, gothic central. We're in gothic city. Do you remember gothic? I remember gothic city. I don't know if people do that anymore. Do the young people? You, Goth. You kids? You, what was the name of that store where you'd buy all the gothic? Oh, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> What's the name of that what store? What was that name? That was I'm back when like people used Zoomies, to go. To, but that's wrong. It wasn't it's, Zoom. Uh, it wasn't Claire's. That was where you'd buy your girlfriend oh, jewelry in middle school. Yeah, my sister's gone. Uh, yeah, we'll Get think earrings. of it. We'll think of it. The Gothic store. I'm sure everybody knows out there. Yeah, that, oh. that was back when people went to malls. You know, would hang out at the mall. I don't know if kids do that they anymore. Don't do that? No, I don't think so. so. On rollerblades. I don't think they do, but then again, I don't really know what's reality anymore. Play that. Are you real? (laughs) Why are you in roller skates right now? I don't even understand. I love. And honestly, we've been spoiled by good scotch, and now we're drinking Johnny Walker. So, you know, it's just going from bad from worse this week. You know, so I think can't complain. You like it? Fourteen hours. You don't have any taste buds, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true too. So I don't like gelato. These guys give me a hard time because I don't like gelato. We got the best damn gelato in the universe here, and this guy doesn't like anything sweet. And I'm really honestly trying to figure out. It's like it's like you know Lewis had that thing with Christ. He's either the Lord, the liar, the lunatic. And I'm like, are you a lunatic or are you just lying? Because it's impossible to not like frigidarium. I think you're an addict. Yeah, I think so too. Maybe you're an addict. Yeah. Is there anybody else out there who does not really like desserts? Yeah. I just the thing is, I would just rather take a second helping of an entree, like a main dish. Yeah, savories, man, savories. You're a savory guy. You're if not they a had sweet like guy. A, if they had like a dessert shop that was all savories, pretzels. Or it's not dessert. No pretzels. Yeah, you like the sweet, huh? Or the uh, savory? I like the savories. Yeah, I had uh, look at that six pack of Toblerone on the right side there. That's what I had for dinner. Oh yeah, uh, you love that. After chocolate. my eight o'clock. Uh, Eight-hour nap uh, last Tuesday. These are like little triangle chocolates. Uh, shaped after the Matterhorn. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. Well, Mike, should we get to a topic? Don't, you, can't, you can't sigh so loud. I like know. That. Oh, sorry. I'm watching the levels. It was a loud sigh. We, uh, we still, after six years, we managed to get the settings set, but we realized we still don't own headphones. If we had headphones yeah, we don't on, know how to get the headphones. we could listen and then adjust with the sounds. So when you listen to the podcast and you say, wow, that's really unprofessional, how badly it's mixed. It's not Becca's fault. It's because... Oh, that's true. We're just absolutely We're incompetent. Incompetent. But we're here and we're doing it, living the dream, and uh, hopefully making the world a better place, which is what we're talking about today. How's that for a lead-in? Making the world a better place. (laughs) Did you like that lead-in? That's a big... Uh, tall order, my friend. I don't think I did. I don't think I made the world a better place. I said mass. That might have helped. Yeah, read, that, read, read five hours of there's mystery, nothing mystery more novels. Than the mass. Mystery novels. I wanted to say mass for this character, these characters in a novel. That's a sign that you're losing touch with reality. I literally was setting my intention yeah, for mass. And I, I would like, agree. That's unhealthy. You need oh, friends man. to be able to I call need you friends. Back. I was like, Lynette Doyle, I'm saying this mass for you because you were murdered on the on the Nile River. She's By your real. ex-lover. She's not real. Snap She's not real, man. Snap out She's of it, She's not real. Man. Snap out of it. Okay. 
I got some good shout outs, but we'll save those for the end. How does yeah, that sound? You go, we got to get into this thing. Okay. We've been, people complain because we banter so long. I know. So we're getting into it, people. Yeah. No more banter. Saving the world. We're serious. We're saving Making the world. Making the world a better place. Making the world a better place. Play that funky music. White, White boy. boys. The, um, the topic today is humanism. Oh, yeah. Humanismo. Okay. Right? As I like they would that. Say. You like that? What do you know about humanism? I well shoot. Are you asking? Is that a historical question? No. Are you a humanist? Are you into this? I think so. Okay. You know, I would think. See, I get I get made fun of by my a lot of my Catholic friends because I'm the kind of the liberal or whatever. But I just consider myself a humanist. I love the fact that Genesis, uh, the creation story, according to the Judeo Christian tradition affirms the goodness of human beings, the right. fundamental goodness of human beings, right? right? This is good, and it's fallen. There's all kinds of crazy stuff, and human beings are bad. Let me make that clear. Human beings have become very bad. Right. I am bad in ways... A lot of people out there are bad. Right. I, don't, I, this, I, don't, I don't consider myself a naive humanist. Right. But I do think, in the end, I, I, there's, there's something about the human spirit and the goodness of the human person that is fundamental and is really worth worth saving. That's the other piece. Okay, so at the beginning there's a goodness and then I think the Christian story is about the fact that God loves this enough that he's going to come and save it. Why are you pointing your finger at me? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just you trying to make a point. I I'm No, I'm not I like, like it. I, I don't saying. see you as like you're yeah. not objecting yet. No, 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 but I'm not objecting yet. I just, this came to me, so I, I started well, playing. You know, for not knowing what the topic is, I don't know if people know that we don't tell each other what the topics are, which is why I make a fool of myself on topics like bikinis or whatever Goebel did, but Uh-oh. that was a good good intro. So, Well, yeah, I consider myself a humanist. Now, I do, like the history of humanism right. has led to a lot of secularism right, right now that gets right. rid of God. Right. And I th- kind of resent the whole humanist thing for right. that reason. If you go to any university, you watch movies, you see TV, everybody's humanist. Everything's great. Right. Everybody's good. And it's totally crazy. Right. You know, to say that everybody's good all the time. Yeah. And oops, you know, somebody blew up thousands of people. Oh, look at that. Some tyrant is killing people, right. torturing people. Uh, but they were, they're, they're good. Maybe they're they not, had a bad experience with not their parents like us, or something. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not that kind of humanist, but I do think in the end, people are worth, you know, trying trying to love and trying to save. I like that. I like that. And I think when we get to the end of this, you you can tell me whether we're in agreement or not. We might not be, okay. but I think I think that we will be. Um, humanism is a tricky topic, and so um, I want to first say I read two books in the last uh, month or two that turned me on to this. First one was last week. This is a little essay called Humanism and Theology. By Werner Wilhelm Jäger. It has a very strange cover. It looks it, like an this iPhone is one of those, advertisement. Yeah, this is one of those books that they just put into a, you know, it goes out of print. Oh, yeah, this yeah, was yeah. A, this was a speech that was given in 1943 at Marquette University. So, humanism and theology. Interesting stuff in here. I'm not going to talk about theology and humanism. But What's that guy's name? Wilhelm? Uh, his name is Werner, Werner Wilhelm Jäger. 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 And then this, of course, I think I'm going to say this. Top five books I've ever read. Okay, he's showing me Henri de Lubac, 
The Drama of Atheist Humanism. The Drama of Atheistic Humanism by Henri Dulubach. This is a must read. It is so good. So these two books... I have not read it. Despite the fact that I like modern philosophy. It is a big book. It's modern. It's 500 pages, but it is amazing. I'm I'm big on this book right now. And uh, he's got me thinking a lot about humanism. And uh, so between Jaeger and uh, and Dulubach, we kind of set the stage for uh, today's topic, which hopefully will be of interest. The question behind all of this, Father Michael Rapp, okay. is... Well, now, now you're pointing. I'm, now I'm pointing at you. <laughs> I'm pointing at you. And I'm going to drink my bad scotch and I'm pointing at you. Go on. The question behind this is the relationship between Christianity, in my mind, I should say, Secundame. Italians have that. According to me. Mm-hmm. Mi sembra. Mi sembra. It seems to me. The question is, what's the relationship between Christianity and humanity? What's the relationship between humanity? And does Christianity have anything to, con- to formulate it in a modern way? What does Christianity have to give, offer to humanity? Okay. That seems to me to be a really important question. And that seems to me to be a question that most Christians, I'll say Christians, most of the world, but most of the Western world, but most Christians seem to have despaired of an answer for. That Christianity has something to offer humanity. That it doesn't. Mm-hmm. That, like you said, humanity is ultimately good, and Christianity is good, kind of, except you're fighting with Islam and your crusades and Inquisition and all this different stuff, the Catholic Church. But you're, why don't you just join us, Christians, and let's all move together and make the world a better place. These are the humanists speaking. Humanists, but I think that we've... We've kind of embodied this as as modern Christians. We kind of yeah, have taken it's this kind on. of everybody. Yeah. So I want to unpack kind of where does this come from, and what is humanism, and then is there such a thing as Christian humanism, and that might be where we oh. diverge. So oh. we'll see. So the first question is where does the phrase humanism come for? Like most ism phrases, it comes from the nineteenth century, right? Right. So you got to remember in the nineteenth century. The Prussian German thing, they create the most basically I, what I would say is the highest form of education system in the world the gymnasium system, the university system, the research university system comes out of Germany in this time under the Prussian Empire and the whole mm-hmm. bit. That's where humanism becomes uh, uh, an ism, so to speak, early 19th century. It's built on a phrase from Cicero, just the concept of humanitas. And uh, humanitas being the cultivation of that, which is human, uh, obviously. You know, we're talking about this notion of humanity, but Cicero is really the one in the classical world who defines it. But he takes it from the Greeks who have this understanding of it that they call paideia, which means? I don't know. Paideia, I should know. It's like the name of a commentary. Uh, like childhood Yeah, so exactly. So it's like culture like, uh, if you think of, like, uh, pedagogy. What you would teach children? Yeah, exactly. Pedagogy is the, how do you form and educate someone, oh, okay, yeah. a child? That's what paideia is for the Greeks. So the, the reason I'm saying all this is because humanism is uh, a modern phenomenon as a humanism, but it's an, it was an ancient discovery because it goes back to the beginning of philosophy, which says, what does it mean to be a human being? And how do we form that human being? How do you cultivate these things? Mm. The defining criteria of every humanism, we could say, is what is their conception of human nature. Okay, yeah. So what does it mean to be a human being? Anthropology informs how do we make human beings into 
what they are. Right. Anthropology being our understanding of what a human being is. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We can't just bounce just these words. Like the philosophical language. Bounce these words out there. I don't know. Sometimes it's helpful. So you go back to you go back to the days of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and these boys. And they're kind of in the same battle that we're in in some ways, right? So if you remember in Plato's dialogue, Socrates is always fighting these guys called the Sophists. Do you remember this? Right. The Sophists. I don't know yeah, how you yeah. pronounce these things. Sophists were basically educators. They were pedagogues, paideia, men of paideia. They were very practically minded. Mm-hmm. How do we form good civil people? How do we educate them? But they were also skeptics because they had cut off and they were coming out of a philosophical tradition that kind of severed God. They were agnostic on the question of God and they were concerned solely on the question of how do you make a human being good? And they became the enemy of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, right? But especially Plato and... Even now, I don't know, this might be asking too much of you, but... Um, Socrates is killed, according to Plato, for corrupting the youth and really being an atheist. He's trying to separate um, religious practice and convictions from the practice of philosophy and the moral life, right? So he's, in some way, he's he he's been um, he he was condemned as uh, putting doubt in people's minds about the influence of the gods and the fates and everything and having it kind of a natural. But it sounds like you're saying the sophists played this role of separating religious practice and life from a sort of philosophical, intellectual project that's different than right than religion or whatever. Yeah, so at the risk of boring everybody, we'll go back in history <laughs> yeah, another. Yeah. So we're talking like 5th century B.C. here, but let's go back to 8th, 9th century B.C. So you got, kind of Homer is the father of, of Greek, the poetry, but it's really myth. You know, myth is the, myth is a kind of a negative word that we think of, but myth is really the kind of the most primitive, and again, I'm, I'm a, kind of coming from the philosophical here, you, you're thinking biblically here but mm. in terms of hellenistic world the greek world kind of the mythical is the kind of the initial religious movement in man but the problem is that myth kind of climaxes in tragedy so the tragedians you know so sophocles and aeschylus and uh, who's the other one i forget um euripides and uh and it ends in tragedy and in these kind of really horrible if you mm. read oedipus wrecks and these things it's just like these really intense and tragic that's kind of where the religion goes to from that comes two different schools which is the socrates the socratic and then the sophist basically this is what jaeger is saying i'm trying to kind of okay. distill it and i'm probably butchering it but basically you have two different approaches to it and one is agnostic one is agnostic and i don't think it's fair to say that socrates um reduces and kind of kills the religious impulse in Greek. He purifies it. Because one of the things Jaeger says that I thought was interesting is he says, Socrates discovers the soul. He oh. discovers the soul in man. And again, you're a biblicist, so you're thinking whatever, you know, thousands of well, years before I, you got I Abraham. Well, I have a degree in philosophy. I'm interested. You do, you do, yeah. So, Did you know I wanted to study ancient philosophy 
Really? I didn't know that. My list, they, when they said, well, you go and study, I said, ancient philosophy, scripture, or canon law. Oh, my gosh. What were you I'm thinking? I'm glad I didn't get canon yeah, law. Yeah, no kidding. I am interested in ancient philosophy. This stuff... I'm yeah, like, so it's... Well, you can correct me on this, but the... But um, both of these from schools, what, yeah. they're both trying to move beyond the mythical. Trying to move beyond the mythical. So they're, okay. kind, of, they're kind of trying to purify purify uh, the mythical because it ends in this kind of tragedy mm. um and so the work of philosophy is kind of this purification of the religious sense in man it's really not meant to evaporate it but i think that the sophists destroy it and become the mo- the first modern educators if we look back at you know the way we're forming children now it goes all the way back to these guys and, okay. and socrates is attacking them and basically um what Jaeger is arguing is that you have two forms of humanism in ancient Greek culture, mm-hmm. the Socratic and the Sophist. And he doesn't use these words, but I'll use them to try and distinguish them. Um, what I'll call theocentric, so God, theo, God-centered um, uh, humanism, okay. theocentric humanism, and anthropocentric humanism, man-centered humanism. Yeah. The Sophists are man-centered, and Socrates, via Plato here, is God-centered. And there's really two lines that kind of sum it all up for me. If I was going to really try and simplify this, make it as clear as possible, it's this. Protagoras says, man is the measure of all things. Yeah. Plato says in the laws, chapter 4, God is the measure of all things. And imitation of the divine, Plato says is what leads to the fullness of humanity. Plato. Crazy, yeah. huh? Yeah, this is why Justin Martyr and these early Christians were like loving these guys. You know, They love these Greek philosophers. And that's why Ratzinger in that Regensburg address, the famous thing that pissed off all the Muslims in Europe, was actually a beautiful speech talking about the providence of, of Hellenistic philosophy yeah. uh, integrating into the, the Semitic revelation. And so God... Is God the measure of all things, and does that inform our humanism, or does man is man the measure of all things, and that informs our humanism? Right. So yeah. in Aquinas, uh, in the early church, and then in, especially in Aquinas, and this is the whole point of Jaeger's thing, is that Aquinas' philosophy is humanistic. Humanistic. He doesn't say it's a humanism. He says it's humanistic. The first time you hear about humanism... Again, the, the phrase is termed in the 19th century, but you hear about it in the Renaissance boys, you know. Um, and they start to become humanists. They go back to the Greeks. There's this kind of great retrieval of Greek. But they, they haven't, like, broken away yet. Whether they're anthropocentric mm-hmm. or theocentric, eh, I'm not, I don't know if I can make that claim. Um, but they start this shift, and they definitely pick up on man as the measure of all things. That's kind of one of the marks of that Renaissance humanism Um that starts to undergo, uh, kind of get the modern, the whole modern thing going. Because modernity, if we we're going to say, what is modernity? What is modern man? It's he has built his philosophy on himself, on man, mm-hmm. right? Cogito ergo yeah. sum. I think, therefore, right. I am. Descartes. Descartes. It's the whole thing. Luther, everything. It's all right there. It's all anthropocentric. Versus the medieval worldview, which was theocentric. So before I continue on that, do you have any thoughts? So I'm going to go for more whiskey. Okay. Um, I don't know what to throw in there exactly. <laughs> um, I have some thoughts, but I think they're kind of anticipating the, 
the modern philosophy and the, our kind of... Just anticipate it. Oh, just anticipate it. Well, so... Well, okay, so one is Jesus sort of fixes okay, that dilemma sure. yep. in that he's both God and man. So the incarnation is already addressing this. You can... If, if you had this great divide between human beings, we fend for ourselves. What we can build intellectually, what we can know, is what, what, uh, what we come up with as human beings. You, know, you see this in um, scientists sometimes, that scientists are happy to recognize that there's something out there and that there's big something greater, but they don't want to say what it is because we're only limited to what we can know. So all of this ancient mythology and all of these things about gods in the skies, angels, anything invisible is something that we unfortunately just can't know. So we must have made that up, right? Right. We're limited to what we can know. And, it, and so there's a sort of an, a human um, emphasis from that side. And then on the other side, you see a lot of religious people who are sort of by faith alone and you just have to believe things because you should believe them. They're in the Bible, or God said it, or um, you have all these different expressions of faith that uh, really divide um, God from human beings and, and our ability to know, and then say, well, whatever God has for us and tells us to do, to say, to think, that's where we're supposed to be coming right. from. Um, but... Somehow Jesus unites both of these things, that he becomes, uh, this is God becoming a human being. So God is revealing, God is being revealed to humanity through a human being. So what we, what we know in Jesus is actually through a sort of human, kind of a human effort, but we also call him divine. You know, he's entirely mm-hmm. divine and entirely human. So um, it's, there's a complex situation in Jesus, but I, I feel like that can bridge some of that gap between theocentrism, how are we supposed to be God-centered when we're not God, or anthropocentrism, like how are we s- supposed to transcend our man-centeredness, human-centeredness, mm-hmm. um, and kind of bridge that gap. Well said. Well, well we can wrap it up. Let's go to some chat. No, it's good. Jumping ahead from... I. I must we, say, we need to move through the moderns. For an right? exegete, from an exegete, you've uh, you've got your theological accuracy. You still yeah. got it. You haven't lost it. So well done. That's that's really it. The answer is the uh, two natures of Christ. That yeah, through the humanity of Christ, we have access to the divinity, and um, which is our origin and our orientation. Right. So humanity doesn't make sense in itself. That's why the any anthropocentric formula, which again in the ancient world was just these kind of sophists trying to. I have this image of, um, you know, you and I had these crazy philosophers. Father Mike and I went to seminary when we were eighteen, so we went to these college seminaries and so we studied a lot of philosophy. Um, and I had this guy, yeah. Doctor Atkinson, who would lick chalk off his fingers and he was ah yeah Gorgias ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Gor- so whenever I think of Plato, I always think of oh, Atkinson. No. Licking chalk off his fingers. And I have a, the wild-eyed Joe Tatey. Joe Tatey. Who I love very much, but he would read Greek. Um, he would read Homer in Greek to his three- and four-year-olds <laughs> for nighttime, like bedtime reading. 
It's these philosophers are. It's ridiculous. They're crazy. Are. They're crazy. But yeah, so the in the ancient world they have they have that going on. The paideia trying to form the humanity, but they've they've just punted. The sophists just punted on the question of God. Just that was that's why Socrates yeah. goes after him. It's that you just or Plato goes after him. You can't just punt on that. So basically, anthropocentric humanism is agnostic in its foundation, stays agnostic, kind of Christian in the Renaissance, but then it takes kind of a sinister turn in the modern world. And that's where Delubach says, where does modern atheism come from? Humanism. That's what he says. He says it shifts from agnosticism to what he says is not atheistic humanism. He calls it anti theistic humanism, yeah. which sounds like, what, what's the difference? But that, that's a good distinction. Uh, Nietzsche's not an atheist. He's an anti-theist, is what he's saying. Marx is not an atheist. He's an anti-theist. Oh, that yeah. They've defined that now in the modern world, you can't just be a sophist and kind of punting right. on these things. But as Balthazar says, atheism doesn't actually exist until after Christ. Until you have the fullness of Revelation, you can't have the fullness of rejection. Oh, interesting. So that's his one of his theories, and um, well, so, I guess, I, so the, the ex- modern form. Sorry, the modern form of secular humanism is is radically different and way more destructive than what we're talking about in the past. And right. it is literally what is informing billions of people now, really trying optimistically to make the world a better place, uh, and condemning Christians for failing at it. Um, and condemning Christ for not really being the answer to the humanity, right. to the human question, to the human problem. Right. So you'll see people who who praise um, human qualities, and uh, and for good reason because they're virtues and they're amazing what humans can do. Um, you see, a, a lot of these folks in uh, I mentioned science. A lot of scientists will. Uh, or it's more like the kind of popular writers who consider themselves scientists. I've met a lot of scientists who are very good religious people mm-hmm. and are very believing and have no qualms with reconciling science and uh, and religion. But you do find these popular people who say, well, the the nobility of humanity is that we can make progress through our minds. If we invent more robots, if we figure out how to fly to planets somewhere else, if we can fix our environment, all of these uh, technological advancements that seem to be like the scientific interest, this is the best of humanity. This is what makes the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And, and religion seems to be getting in the way of these, mm-hmm. this progress, right? right? You find this in the world of art. A lot of times uh, people will say, well, this is the, one of the best and most beautiful expressions of humanity, our creativity, our ability to create things, our ability to inspire each other. And, um, and then you have religious people who are kind of impeding the progress of art by being so traditional right. or by limiting things to some practical way of serving the gods. You know, we want to put your, your gold on our ceilings. Right. You know, what, what was that? Band, there's a band with the song Gold on the Sea. loves that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did a podcast. But it's these human expressions that say we would be better off without religion. Right. Religion really gets in the way of the, 
of the people. Right. You know, religion is the opiate, opiate. of the people. Yeah. Who's this, Marx? Marx, yeah. Opiate of the people. It keeps you pacified. It keeps you from doing bad things, but it also keeps you from doing great things. Right. So if we could just get rid of religion, then we could see our furthest potential or something like right. that. No, I think that's right on. I think that this is like in the air. This is every you see it when you talk to people. And I've I've met really frustrated or fallen Christians who have just deeply imbibed this. Mm-hmm. And they've just become convinced that what you're saying is true, which is that this is, in, this is hindering the progress of man, you know, this kind of optimism uh, that we're going to make the world a better place. And if everyone would just get on board with our project, and DeLubach's whole point in this book is really to say that whenever man tries to organize man without God, he organizes him against man. He destroys man. That you can't, man qua man can't make the world a better place. You're killing something within you that says that. But you can't get Americans to believe that. I know. Even though it's true. I mean, I lived in the Middle East, and I saw it's... You start to wonder, if more people get organized and they get more efficient at controlling other people, is this good or bad? Yeah. This looks dangerous. Yeah. That was the first time when I was... That threatened my humanism. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, it seems like every round of elections, we just the masses fall for this. It's the next thing. It's the next idea. It's the next person. We have the answer. This is going to be it. And it's, I think really thinking Christians have to say, no, we don't. Because at the end of the day, we're not made for this world. Mm. God did not put us... He did make us on here to sanctify the temporal realm, to work for it, but we're not here to create paradise. And we can't because mm. we're, we're broken, like you said. We're crazy. Which is why Delubach says, page 400, The man God did not choose between his two natures, so let us drop the equivocal, perhaps, in fact, two-week expression, Christian humanism, and let us reserve it for designated certain forms, certainly more or less debated successes offered to us by history. So Delubach says, basically says, Christian humanism is not... Uh, going to work. That it's phrase not is not going to work for us. But I think what you were saying at the beginning, which de Lubach says and Jaeger says, is that Christianity is humanistic. Does that make sense? And that's different than what you're... Yeah, it's different. Okay, yeah. go on. It's humanistic in the sense that it is it's ordered for the perfection of man, right? If we are going to say what is mm. what is humanistic about, what makes Christianity humanistic? That it, that it progresses man, so to speak. Well, we would say uh, that great line from St. Irenaeus, right? The glory of God is man fully alive. Yeah, right. So that man's work is for the praise, reverence, and service of God as a good son of St. Ignatius, yeah, yeah. as you are. But in the process of that, he becomes fully alive. So man's purpose is not to make himself fulfilled. His purpose is to glorify God, praise, reverence, and serve God. But in the process of that, he becomes fully alive. So it's humanistic in the sense that it does bring him, it does make us better humans to be Christians. It's not like God becomes great and then human beings recognize how lowly and stupid and worthless we are. It actually elevates human dignity and enables human beings to to exercise their fullest potential. Absolutely. Or at least it should, theoretically. Yeah, it should. And I think about that a lot. I was walking the streets today trying to get away from rollerbladers and play that funky music, white boy. <laughs> and I think about it a lot. What, what would I be like as a human being 
without Christ? What would John Nepple be like? And I think he'd be a disaster. I really think I am a disaster. Yeah. But I would be I would be way worse off. And again, Christ is not a self help option. But yeah. in the process yeah, of in the yeah. process of of giving one's life in obedience to Jesus and saying it's not about my fulfillment. I'm not doing this for my fulfillment. I'm doing this because I encountered the fullness of of love and I desire to to give my entire life for him, to squander my life for him. In the process of that, I become more human. Mm. And if you try and make yourself human, I think you compromise the whole project. The whole endeavor becomes this ego, ego trip, yeah. which, is no, which is no different. And you have to compete, and you yeah. have to you know, make your way, survival of the fittest kind of thing. Yeah. I like what you're saying. I, I wonder what that means. Like, what's the implication? Like, do we have to call out... Um, our humanist friends who are comprom- compromising religious convictions for the sake of this humanism, how does it relate to the other cultures in the world? Yeah. Like I think, okay, so this is where I still remain humanist. I think it's still good for us to go in and help everybody else Without first coming in and saying, you need Jesus. Right. What you need is Jesus. Right. Which is true. And ultimately, that's the best thing. I don't have any problem admitting that, that I think Jesus is better than all of the other ideas and religious ideas and religions. Um, But that's not right away where people are. Yeah. They don't always understand that. It's difficult to to, um, communicate. And it requires a community in in certain circumstances. But in the meantime, when we're looking at other human beings, can we say, yes, we promote and and encourage your art, your um, intellectual progress, your economic progress, your political progress, peace in your places, and all of these things, even if it means you're not maybe moving immediately toward what looks like more Christian religious conviction. No, I agree with that. Can we encourage other people? I do. I do think that in that way, I'm still still a humanist. Yeah. That I think it's good for us to just help other people for being people. Absolutely. Help people thrive around the world. I think of Mother Teresa just kind of picking up people off the streets. It's like, and um, I yeah, we have to remember that, especially in the West too. Um, as priests, we we you and I have experienced this is that, um, if you don't engage people as a human being just as a human i mean we spend so much of our life just bsing with people about whatever yeah why do we do that well because you learn a lot of random stuff but also it's because they're they don't want to just talk about the faith sometimes you just got to talk about what they're interested in 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 their life and you maybe do that for months or even years and and then on an international and political level the church has always been humanitarian in that sense yeah which is that we work for the good of humanity but we don't think that we can we can solve the problems of humanity. We're not making it utopia. It's a broken system. Yeah, we can't make it's it utopia. It's just out of love for the people in front of us. Exactly. So I think we're kind of in agreement. I think we are, yeah. I but, like it. But, it's but I interest- see the danger, and I don't know. I mean, I'll have to do like an examination of conscience. It's, it's hard to know how how do we work against this Yeah. This momentum. Yeah. I mean, we, we live in the wake of... 200 years of this secular humanist momentum right. that makes it forms people's minds yeah. about what human beings are and what their potential is. And 
has a serious effect on whether or not people will be religious for one, but also what we assume about other people around the world and the right. way they think and everything. And right. everybody's good. Everybody's always going to do well. I'll live for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate. I really have d- detest that because. I think if you, and this is the final thing I'll say, and then we got to wrap it up here, but um, when I look at my life and I see the failures, my failures to love, you know, I don't think John Nepple is a really good guy, and that's why I became a priest, because I'm such a good guy. Yeah. I, I, I followed Christ because I wasn't a good guy, because I was a disaster. I was enslaved to selfishness and, and my ego and and sin. It, it was... It was total slavery, and I, I couldn't get out of it. Hmm. And he broke me free of that. And then he called me to be a priest. And priesthood has been a, a humiliating process of just failing to love. And, and you, you, right, you walk yeah. with me very closely. You know the people that I, even to this day, continue to offend in my sins. And uh, so I, I don't look at that and say, I'm a good person, just like all other Christians. And all the people, we're all good. I'm saying, no, I'm really broken. I'm not, yeah. I'm not evil but I'm really broken Yeah, and you need Christ. And I think that if a humanism comes out of that place in prayer, I think it's really great. And I think it's really authentic. And it's Jesus coming because he loves you you and he wants you to be the best that you you know, can be and are, but you don't even see that. You think you have to make that. Yeah. And then you, and then you meet the savior. Yeah. But it's that question. Are we in need of salvation? That is, is the question. There, is there a need for salvation? Which is right at the heart Can of the question of what does it mean to be a human? Are we in need of salvation? So This is a great topic. We could go forever. We're probably it. at a long... I don't even want to know how... Okay, we got to hustle up here. Oh, I'm supposed to be watching the clock. No, that's okay. Uh, can we do some shout-outs? Sure. I don't know what the clock says. You got no shout-outs? Okay. Well, First off... Yeah, go ahead. Father Lane... Breeze. Breeze down the street. Here, yeah. Down the, down the street. Down the uh, hall. Was this summer, I think? He was at the University of Georgia hanging out with some kids, and they were listening to the podcast. So yeah. wherever these dudes are who were with Father Lane, if you're still listening, thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to give you a shout-out yeah, for that. Yeah. My friend, sympathies to Father Lane because his team, Clemson, lost. But they got a long way, and they played a great game. They did. Alabama. That's right. That's right. And the Broncos are playing here in two hours, so we need to quit podcasting and go get on our knees that they beat them. On the Amo. Okay, what's on the next? Amo. Okay, Ron Fano. Love it, Fano. Ron. 50th birthday on Wednesday, and this podcast is coming out on Thursday, and this is his. Bir- this is my birthday present to him. Oh, He's a great yes. guy. Happy birthday to Ron, you. Ron, <laughs> a great friend from Boulder, so thanks, Ron, for having a great family and um, for being... They brought me into their family. We played some wiffle ball in their living room when I was nice. in, uh, in Boulder, so to the Fano family. Uh, Father Nick Blaha, who I had dinner with this week. Father yeah, John great. Nicholas Blaha. One of the coolest John, priests in America. Coolest priest in America. And then lastly, this is uh, one of these shout-outs from um, the technological world here. John Forrester writes, Could you give a shout-out to my wife, Allison, who entered the Catholic Church on December 6th at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart of Notre Dame? Yeah. Congratulations. Awesome. Congratulations. So, Welcome. Allison, welcome to our crazy messed up family. <laughs> it's good to <laughs> and have beautiful. you. And beautiful. And beautiful. And human, right? There you that's go. That's right. So I think that's all I got. Thanks for sitting with this uh, history philosophy lesson. I think it's great. Yeah, give us your feedback. And, Tell uh, us what you think about humanism. Yeah, we're going to try and get over jet lag and we'll come back uh, here at it. So CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao.